Today, we talk about the story Nora should have read before going out with James Joyce. <laughs> <laughs> and welcome to the Codex Cantina, where I am Una. I am happy to be back with James Joyce Crypto. Now, if you are new to the channel, we do literature breakdowns where we go heavy into detail, bringing out some of the interpretations and meanings behind that. If you are down for that sort of thing, hit the subscribe button. Today, we are looking at the famous James Joyce piece, The Boarding House, which was written in July of 1905 and published in 1914. As usual, we will put a link in the description box below where you can read for free. And I will give you the disclaimer, a quote from James Joyce himself. I have tried to present it to the indifferent public under four of its aspects. Childhood, adolescence, maturity, and public life. The story's arranged in this order. James Joyce. So if you didn't know, this is at the tail end of the adolescent section when it comes to breaking down Dubliners. Yeah, and I think that's pretty obvious when we get into some of our analysis of how we feel about the key aspect of this being about adolescents and teenagers. So what we're going to do is a very quick plot breakdown at a high level, and then we're going to go kind of double click a step deeper into some of these things in a part of our analysis. So for plot, Mrs. Mooney separates from her husband, a butcher who descends into alcoholism. Starting anew, she starts running a boarding house separated from her husband. Her daughter, Polly, entertains the boarding house patron singing, I'm a naughty girl. <laughs> <laughs> Mrs. Mooney learns that her daughter is having an affair with Bob Doran. Mrs. Mooney wants Mr. Doran to marry Polly. We then kind of follow Bob Doran more so from a point of view perspective, and he believes he's a victim of Polly's advances. He fears losing his job at a Catholic wine merchant's office due to the affair. After Doran leaves the room, Polly appears content, and Mrs. Mooney calls Polly down so that Mr. Doran can speak with her. Very high level, but we'll, we'll go into more detail here. That was a great job. So in terms of analysis, okay, first let's just get out of the way. This takes place on a Sunday between sunrise and mass, and no, James Joyce, everything in a James Joyce story means something, everything alludes to something, and we can't cover or recognize or know everything but I think we got enough details here to talk about. We're going to see some religious symbols along the way. And the subtle idea is that you see a little bit of structure with Catholicism here, which James Joyce was a huge critic of. If you've never read anything about James Joyce, I would recommend Richard Elman's biography. Very strong piece with helping us to understand a lot of what James was writing about. So even though this piece is about adolescence, it actually starts it off some really good context where we get some background information on Mrs. Mooney and her life. So it starts off with that Miss Mooney marries her father's foreman, which is kind of James Joyce's way of saying she's moving down a class. And I've looked at some of the, the notes that I have in my, I have the Penguin Centennial Edition, which has a ton of notes. I highly recommend the Penguin Classic version because the notes will help out a little bit. But it kind of brings up some of the points that, that Miss Mooney married down into the class. And it talks about them moving to the northern side of Dublin. I couldn't find any information about what type of neighborhood that was back then. I looked up now and there was talks about what were the dangerous neighborhoods to avoid, but I don't, that doesn't guarantee that the northern side of Dublin was looked down upon, right? Like every city kind of has like that area where you're like, eh, I wouldn't really live on the south side, right? I'd be yeah, curious. Exactly. <laughs> I'd be curious to know what northern Dublin was look like because does that tag on to maybe how Miss Mooney married down 
in terms of class. It, it would be interesting to know that. So Mrs. Mooney's father passes away, and then her husband and her open up their own butcher shop to kind of continue on with the lineage. But then the husband does not do well with this. Their business is struggling, and as a result, they get divorced. He becomes a raging alcoholic. Well, they don't get divorced. They get separated. And that's another key thing because women's rights weren't equal, particularly in Ireland. The um, I call it the Divorce Act, but there's another name for it. They couldn't get divorces easily back then without like proof of, of abuse and such that they just kind of separated was a kind of a, a key part there that's going to lay, lay into decisions, which is why I make that clarification, because decisions can have long lasting effects. Yeah. And she's starting to regret all of this as a, as a result. So I think that brings us to kind of this adolescent comment, right? When you are an adolescent, you will look at your parents and you will start to make decisions about your life, right? What are mistakes maybe that your parents made that you want to change from? Seeing this incorrect rushed marriage or, or something to regret there, seeing marrying down a class, not marrying into wealth, but marrying down. These are things that wore on Mrs. Mooney's life that Polly may not want to repeat is kind of one of the things that you might want to be looking at from an adolescent perspective. Yeah, I think here this is one of the reasons why Polly is kind of throwing herself at other people is she doesn't want to be stuck with just this one relationship like her mother. So each of these characters are going to have to make a decision or a pseudo decision are kind of presented to these characters in this piece. Now, starting off with Miss Mooney, I like hers the best because she has this quote, she dealt with moral problems as a cleaver deals with meat. (laughs) (laughs) And in this case, she had made up her mind. So if you want to think about splitting a decision, you know, and cutting that moral fiber in a sense, she's a... I think she was described as a big, imposing woman. So Ms. Mooney ain't nothing to mess around with, right? Yeah, she's one that you're uh, definitely scared of, whoever you are at that boarding house. (laughs) She's pragmatic. She's going to be driven because of her conditions. And she's even going to push Polly not to make those same decisions that she did in terms of marrying down or or tottering on a moral decision. She's going to cut that like a cleaver to meat. She's got to cut it down, right? Yeah, I think Joyce is doing a really good job here of portraying probably what a typical Irish mother was like during his time period of his life. Well, and it's fascinating, too, because as a typical Irish mother, you have a daughter and a son, both displaying very non-Catholic actions, if you will. Yeah, it's kind of crazy how there is this like dual nature of the kids and Mrs. Mooney. She sets up a boarding house and not necessarily like a den of sin, but definitely questionable morality with lots of travelers and musicians and artisans coming in and out. Not a highly respectable area. Right. And Joyce starts to depict the next generation as not being able to take the cleaver to morality decisions, right? (laughs) Yeah, because Polly is running around and flirting and singing and saying she's a nasty girl or or naughty girl. (laughs) (laughs) Well, and what's interesting is I have a note in mind that you may not have had. I don't think you had annotations, did you? No, my my book does not have any annotations or notes or anything. So I don't suggest this version unless it's 99 cents like mine was. (laughs) So the people there call her the madame which is actually, interestingly enough, another term used to describe someone who runs a brothel. And you'll notice that this questionable morality of traveling musicians to an extent and having Polly running around flirting, singing, I'm a naughty girl, 
what exactly <laughs> is going on here, right? Yeah, these people are not behaving like your traditional Irish Catholics probably would. Very suspectful of, huh? Well, here's another funny one. So it says in terms of Jack's job, the, the guy that's good with his mitts, the good boxer. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Jack is an agent to a commission agent, which is, if you didn't know, a commission agent is someone who does work upon someone else's behalf, according to my notes. And you'll notice, this is what's fascinating. I love this kind of dual storytelling here. You'll notice in this story, Mrs. Mooney is doing work upon Polly's behalf with with Bob Duran, right? She's the one that's kind of negotiating this marriage proposal. And here's Jack, who is the son of the commission agent, right? Well, he, he's, he's the guy that works with that person. And he's painting very quickly Miss Mooney as the commission agent very quickly with this job title that I think probably goes over a lot of people's heads. Yeah, definitely went over my head because I didn't have the notes on there and I learned that from you. (laughs) But But at the end of the day, we have the quote from her, she was sure she would win. To begin with, she had all the weight of social opinion on her side. She was an outraged mother. (laughs) (laughs) And rightfully so, I think, right? I mean, because she's trying to do better for her children than what she had. And they seem to be kind of spitting in her face a little bit, at least from her point of view. Right, right. And and I just, I think the story is more interesting as I dig more into it. Because you'll notice that when they describe um, Bob when he comes there, they said he had a good screw, which screw <laughs> is not drunk in this situation. It's actually salary. And they said that he had stuff put by, which means he had a good savings. So Mrs. Mooney is looking at this as a chance to marry up in class as opposed to what she did as well. And along comes opportunity. You notice she watched, but she didn't stop it. Yeah, I think you're going to miss a lot of that if you don't know the terminology, as we've said with Joyce before, knowing what the words mean during his time period and in Ireland is key to enjoying the story so much more because you will miss out on little things like that and saying, what? I don't get it. All right. So the narration is rather unique because while it is omniscient, we kind of have, we play favorites throughout this, right? So we've talked a lot about Miss Mooney, right? She wants her kids to do better. She sees this guy with lots of money potentially, right? And she sees an opportunity. Let's talk about Bob. What about Bob? Hmm. <laughs> Mmm, this food's delicious. Mmm, mmm. I love that movie. (laughs) So Bob is a patron as someone passing through and stays at the boarding house. And he is a, he's our suspect moral traveler, right? Now here's what's interesting. The name Doran in Irish means exile or stranger. Oh. Right? And he's the one that comes to the boarding house and takes Molly's morality away, if you will. Or does she give it away? Mm. Now, I think Bob's narration is interesting, right? Because you think of typically the men are the pursuers. The men are the ones that take things. And and the story, I feel like, flip-flops a couple of different times on this story. But when we get Bob's, Bob's narration, he paints himself as this martyr. She was advancing on me. She seduced me. <laughs> yeah, he's definitely painting himself as the victim here, for sure. Well, he's the martyr p- painting himself as a saint, I would say. Eh, maybe not that far. <laughs> <laughs> well, the point being is, can he take the cleaver to the moral decision? <laughs> <laughs> no, definitely not, because he's going to be marrying Polly. <laughs> well, and, and so this story, again, in terms of Joyce's brilliant ability to set things up, 
meat to cleaver, to cut things, to decisively make a decision and slice through to make a decision. We have this quote when he's called down to talk to Miss Mooney. We've got some more razor action, right? He had made two attempts to shave, but his hand had been so unsteady. So the razor here is representative of this next generation unable to make decisions. This new decision, this new generation is paralyzed, like we talk about in a lot of the Dubliner stories and modernism in general. Characters typically are very unresolved. They're, they're, they're not able to make decisions. And that was a big critique James Joyce had of Dubliners is that they were unable to make decisions. And here he is unable to shave. He can't take the cleaver to the meat. Yeah. And you think that the religion plays a lot of role in this as well? Yeah, because if you remember, they said that he was atheistic when he was younger. He got that out of his system. Now he's going to church. He talked in a confession about what he did, and he was given reparations to make. So we know he's entered back into his political life in a sense, too, which Joyce viewed as he was a very big outspoken person that something that else that's handed down to you in terms of the previous generation is religion and politics, right? A lot of times the religion, the politic, the foundation that you follow is typically mirroring what your parents were. And here we have him trying to become more religious. Yeah. So the passing down the cultural identity to Polly and then these two maybe different age groups kind of not meshing well together. Well, think of it this way, too. This is his chance at rebirth. He's ready to enter back into being the right moralistic, according to the Bible's view. And we have this quote, three days reddish beard fringed his jaws, and every two or three minutes a mist gathered on his glasses. How long did it take Jesus to be resurrected, Crypto? Three days. I uh, can't see my three. Three days. Right. So here he is having not sh- not been able to take the cleaver for three days, two or three minutes to come down. We're seeing these biblical references of rebirth right at the moment when he has to make this big decision about whether he are- is to marry Polly or not. One thing that Bob does really well on is that he recognizes the past being an influence on the present. And we have a quote from the story that encapsulates this perfect. It says, first of all, there was her disreputable father, and then her mother's boarding house was beginning to get a certain fame. Mm. Yep. Yeah. But what options does Bob have? I don't think Bob has a lot of options. There's little left open to him with all of those kind of things hanging over him, culture and politics and religion. And we have another quote from the story. He had been employed for 13 years in a great Catholic wine merchant's office, and publicity would mean for him perhaps the loss of his job. And I think it's important to point out, maybe even for younger readers, how different the times were in 1914 Dublin. You know, it took years to work up in the ladder at your work. You couldn't just transfer and move across the country like you did here. And they even have a reference in the story that Dublin's a small city. Right. Everybody knew what you were up to. And if someone knew that you were of questionable morality, it'd be a little bit harder to switch positions and jobs. You kind of have to start over in a new city. So it's like, well, do you hit the eject button and self-destruct or do you do the moralistic thing and marry this girl because you in the times stole her morality? Virginity was much more important back in the day. 
Yeah, people back then didn't have four, five, six, seven jobs. They had one job their entire life. And a lot of people are defined by their job. That's who they are. And Bob is defining himself by his job. And he doesn't want to be fired and lose his prestige and his friends and his social status and everything. It really does encapsulate his personality. Well, and then to to James Joyce's credit, this once again ties into the theme do you really have questions or are things passed down to you? Much like we talked about with religion and in terms of uh, politics, a lot of times you think you're making the decision, but sometimes it's just handed down to you. Here, Bob doesn't have a ton of good options. Yeah, and one thing that's being kind of forced on him as well is the brother, right? Jack is very seems like a very violent character. Yeah, he's good with the mitts, right? <laughs> <laughs> pow, pow. well here's here's another thing from james joyce okay full credit to him two bottles of bass which is an english brewed beer which if you didn't know at the time ireland was not actually a free country it was under rule of england at the time so there's a lot of nationalism aka politics entering into the era at the time you'll notice this is why we say things like there are n- there's almost no lines in a James Joyce short story that don't have a ton of dual meanings to them. And and let me correct something I just said too in terms of good options. I don't mean that it's bad to marry. I mean Bob clearly doesn't want to marry her. He feels obligated to do it. So I don't want to misconstrue what I said there. And that kind of takes us to our next point of actually talking about Polly herself because I think she's a very interesting character as well. You look at Polly and she's young, she's pretty, she's described as slim, she's very flirtatious, and she kind of probably does this with all of the boarding house patrons, right? Well, it's certainly foreshadowed from a, a short story perspective about the I'm a naughty girl, you needn't sham, you know I am. Yeah, yeah. And I think this is interesting when we discuss this because I feel like Joyce is, he's writing her very poorly right? Mm, What do you mean? I feel like that Joyce doesn't understand her in the beginning of the story. He eventually evolves, but we have the stereotype of Jack, and he's kind of being the white knight standing up for his sister. Um, Mm -hmm. And and you have a quote, but Jack kept shouting at him that if any fellow tied that sort of game on with his sister, he'd bloody well put his teeth down his throat, so he would. (laughs) I think... Okay. Let me challenge that. I think the narrator, so if we, okay, the consciousness of this story within this this omniscient narrator, okay, he recognizes along with characters in this story, the moment of pleasure, life of burden conversation where men, typically sometimes called sperm donors when they leave the woman pregnant, okay, have less risk in a engagement of that type than women who bear nine months of pregnancy and then raising the child thereafter. That's even specifically called out in the story, right? Agreed, yeah. No, I just think that in the beginning of the story, George seems to write her very poorly, and then towards the end of the story, we see it kind of click with her that he does write this change in adolescence. And maybe that is on purpose, but it feels very jarring to how Polly is at the beginning of the story being this young, flirty girl and then becoming a mess of emotions towards the end, and then just being right as rain, and saying, oh yeah, mom, I'll be down in just a second. And that very much is how teenagers are, right? I remember being a bag of emotions of angry and happy and scared and blah, 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 from one moment to the next. I just feel like Joyce doesn't get her in the beginning, but does at the end. Do you, well, do we agree that Mrs. Mooney has written really well? Yes. So... 
a female. Do you think he specifically wrote Polly as a subject of of social norms and pressure? And do you think he recognizes that perhaps at the time women had less power and is representing that in that Polly is at the whim of power, of the men making that decision to go through with the right moralistic pressure because of him being subject to social pressures of what he must do? Yeah, is, is, I think that's is a there, good way. Is there a cascading effect of power and what one must answer to in terms of decisions one must make? Yeah, I feel like it just, there's a little bit of air maybe in the stereotypical use of femininity. Well, I'll, I'll tell you this. I agree Polly is flat, but I don't know if that's because James didn't explore her. I, I wouldn't, we don't know if he understood her or not, but he didn't explore her in the story. But for me, she was a stand-in for religion to James Joyce's life because in James Joyce's view of religion, that was something that kind of crept into your life and ensnared you. It was something that was handed down to you from the previous generation. Yeah. Well, if you look at it, I think from that viewpoint, sure, Polly completely makes sense. But as just a character, she is, I think, one of the worst written of the story there, especially when you have Bob and Mrs. Mooney and even Jack is pretty well written for the little limited you know, screen time he gets. You like the anger-filled, frustrated white knight brother? I don't think, I, I, I wouldn't say that I like him, but it's <laughs> very easy to empathize with him. Well, I think it's interesting. So if we look at Miss Polly, She's trying to get this over with because she's got to catch that that it was like a train or a trolley to get to, to late church, which late church at the time had a reputation for the people that were boozing and taking and partying all night Saturday night. There was the late church that was shorter. That was a half hour that you could get to for sleeping in. You have some commentary there, too, of her trying to, you know, shove this marriage out of the way so that way she can get and pay her reparations to the church as well. To me, Polly was meant to be a stand-in, I agree, weaker character, but to me it was a stand-in purpose of representing the church and something that seduces you, something that ensnares you in James Joyce's view, is what I would say. All right, so she's one of the sins that is tempting Bob, and he fails. Oh, he sure does. (laughs) (laughs) And then he's got to deal with that big, imposing, cleaver-wielding mommer. (laughs) (laughs) Don't we all? I love my (laughs) mother-in-law. So in the end, though, the story just stops. And I think people are going to ask the question, what on earth does, does, does he propose? Does he not? Well... This is all about that idea of, does Bob really have a choice? Is Do adolescents have a choice? Are they kind of given, do they have their choices knocked out and have a limited option presented to them, I think is kind of what happens, right? Each character has very limited options available to them in this adolescent world. That's really where I think the commentary went to with Joyce for me, and is very common of this era in terms of the modernists just kind of leaving things open to allow readers to apply their own lens on what they think their view of life is. Yeah, one thing that I think that maybe younger readers won't get with the ending here is that they really didn't have a choice because back then you didn't have as many options as you do today and people weren't as free to just say, you know what, I don't care what you think. They did care what other people think because it did matter in such a small community where now you can be having your job online Uh, It doesn't matter what other people think of you or how they view you. Right. So let's move into our subjective ratings. Crypto, what are you going to give this one? This is a Joyce piece. So I think analytically, you can always rake it super high. 
uh, for enjoyment. Uh, I laughed, so again, you make me laugh. I'm going to really, really like it. Uh, on this one, I'm going to give it a solid eight for both ratings. Taking the meat to the ratings. Okay, cleaver to the <laughs> ratings. I think I started off lower, but then when I read it again with a lot of those those meanings about the screw, about Jack's job, about where they lived, and that representing a class marrying down, I don't think I got it at first until I read those notes, did a second pass, and I was like, oh. Well, actually, a third pass because I've read this story a long time ago. All of these stories, I think, in Dubliners are great. I really do. Oh, if I got to give a rating, you know, I'll, I'll give it an 8.5 as well. I, I, I think I've talked myself up upon comparing this to James Joyce's views, what these characters could represent. Let's go with an 8.5 for me as well. Come on, give me credit. I talked you up. You, you talked <laughs> me up a little bit. Well, all right, guys. Hopefully you enjoyed this James Joyce discussion. If you'd like to read more uh, Dubliners and are interested in checking out more of our talks on the whole Dubliners book as a whole, we will leave a link down below for you to check out our Dubliners and James Joyce's playlists for you to follow along in the conversation. We post videos two, three times a week on literature discussions. If you'd like to join us on that journey, please hit that subscribe button. This is Una, out. Peace.